All right, so we've said here the, the topic is about advancing God's kingdom and how we're going to do that. And the answer is, well, we do it with words, right? We have to tell people about the gospel of Jesus. And talking is not something people always like to do, especially if it's any sort of you know, public speaking. Um, you know, there's all those, those uh, surveys out there that say that people are more scared of talking in public than they are of death. Now, I think if you actually put, like, the two situations before people, they would choose talking in public. But at least in people's minds, talking in public is a scary thing. And I think that's also true not just of, like, up here, like, in front of a bunch of people, but that's also true about touchy subjects in personal lives. There's three things we're not supposed to talk about at dinner, right? Politics, money, and religion. Not supposed to talk about that in, you know, polite society or however you want to look at it. But we don't get to duck that third one. We don't get to duck talking about religion. In fact, Jesus gave us the great commission, right? He tells his disciples to go forth into all the nations, making new disciples teaching everything that he had taught them and baptizing them so that God's message of hope, the gospel, the best message, the best news ever would go throughout the entire world. So we do not get to duck talking about religion. And in a society that tells us we can't talk about it, that's going to cause us to withdraw. Our natural instinct is to not talk about that. I was sitting at lunch a couple weeks back uh, at the high school I teach at, and the, one of the other teachers was asking myself and another Christian about our faith. But the whole time she's doing it at lunch, she's like ducking like, and looking around, like, who's listening to me? And she keeps apologizing as she's asking. She's like, I'm sorry if I'm offending you while I ask you these questions. Why? Because she feels that societal pressure. We don't talk about this. And she's apologizing to not just us, but all the people at the, the table as well. Like, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry if I'm offending you, but I really want to hear. I want to, I want to know what this is about. And so I want to encourage you today that you are called to do that. You are called to talk about your faith. You are called to be witnesses to Jesus Christ, to His Gospel, what He has done in in your life. And I want to tell you that it is hard, but I have great news for you. The great news is that God, the Holy Spirit, empowers us to be His witnesses. God hasn't left us alone to do this. He has given us His Holy Spirit in order to proclaim His Gospel to people. Whatever sphere of life we've been called to, we have God, the Holy Spirit, to help us. You'll turn to Acts 1, 6-11. through It's Acts chapter 1, 6-11. through So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I should have backed this up a little bit. This is after Jesus has risen and his disciples are around him and they're asking him, 
is this it? Is this the end? Is this when you're completing everything at this time? Because they want to know. They've seen Jesus die. Now they've seen him raised. They're like, is this it? Is this? So that's why they're asking him this question. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the passage starts off with the disciples being concerned. Is this it? Is this the end? Have you come back to restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, are you completing all your works now? Is this the end of life as we know it? And Jesus shifts their attention. He says, no, we're not worried about that right now. The Father's appointed that time. It's going to happen. But it's not now. Your call is to be my witnesses. To advance the gospel to the whole earth. Not just here, not just in the region. To the end of the earth. I think that's a healthy reminder for us because as Christians, an important part of our walk is remembering that we have a future reward in heaven. Because if we don't keep our eye on that, we lose the ability or we lose the drive to live a life of sacrifice now, which we've been called to do. But an unhealthy focus on the future is not a good thing. In other words, if we're consumed by thinking about when the end is coming... It robs us of our ability to do things here and now. You guys seen like the doomsday prepper shows? Like these guys are buying land in the middle of nowhere. They're putting bomb shelters in them. They're stocking it with food, and they're so concerned with what's going to happen in the future. May you know these events may or may not ever occur in their lifetime, and they are so focused on that that they forget to do anything here and now. Everything they have goes towards the future. And while the future may make for some exciting novels and movies, and it's you know, profitable to talk about that kind of stuff, again, it doesn't change the here and now that we are called to. We live here. We live now. God has called us to do things now. He has called you to a specific area now. And if we get too focused on the future, we're going to miss those opportunities. So I want to really encourage you that we need to keep one eye certainly on the prize. That we get to be in heaven with God and the new heavens and the new earth with Him for eternity. And that's an awesome prize. But we shouldn't be so focused on that that we forget to do what God has called us to do now. And as I started off with, this isn't an easy call. It's not easy for us to step out of our comfort zone and tell people what we believe. 
Because it's not a popular opinion. It's not going to win you a whole bunch of friends. And people are going to look at you weird. Right? I've done this on the bus before. I used to take the bus to work. People would be like, oh, you're a pastor. We'd start talking. Everybody across the road, like sitting across on the other bench on the bus, they're like, why are these people talking about this? And you know the eyes are drilling in on you. And it's going to happen. I'm not going to sugarcoat that for you. But what I'm going to tell you is that we have the Holy Spirit with us. And He gives us the power to do this. He gives us the power to be His witnesses. I want to use Peter as a case study in this. Because Peter, before he has the Holy Spirit, and Peter, after he has the Holy Spirit, are two very different Peters. The night going into the morning that Jesus is going to be crucified, what does Peter do? We know this story, right? Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And to a servant girl, like it's not even like he's in front of all the leaders. No, he is denying this to people who really don't have any sway or power over him. And of course, Jesus had told them he was going to do it ahead of time. And when he does it that third time, and when the rooster crows, he flees. You look at Peter, and if you were going to guess that there was going to be a strong preacher in the group, a strong witness for Jesus, you're not going to look at Peter and say, it's going to be that guy. Because Peter is a coward. Peter will save his own skin and not stand up for Jesus. But Peter, after the Holy Spirit comes, is totally different. We see this in Acts 2, and I'm not going to have you turn there because it's a pretty long passage. I'm going to sum it up for you real quick. Okay, the Holy Spirit comes, falls on everybody. The promise is there. They are prophesying. They are speaking in tongues. People hear them in their own language, though. Not just like they don't hear them in just Hebrew or Greek, but whatever their native language is, they hear the apostles speaking it. And everybody around is like, this is crazy. These guys have to be drunk. Even though it's early in the morning, they're clearly on something right now. And you might expect John to stand up and say something, or Andrew, or anybody other than Peter. But it's Peter that stands up. Peter says, no, they're not drunk. This was prophesied by the prophet Joel. This is Scripture being fulfilled in front of your eyes. And he goes on and he proclaims Jesus. And he tells them all about what Jesus has done and how they had crucified Him, but God had raised Him from the dead. And 3,000 people, give or take a few in there, come to faith in Jesus that day. Because the Holy Spirit had come and the Holy Spirit had been on Peter and the Holy Spirit changed Peter. It wasn't Peter. Peter, in his natural self, would have run from that situation. But Peter with the Holy Spirit was different. And it wasn't just a one-time thing with Peter. And I do want to read this next passage with you. It's Acts 4, 5-12. through Acts 4, 5-12. through And the background to this is that they'd been going around proclaiming Jesus. And they'd been doing healings in Jesus' name. And a crippled man had been able to walk. And the leaders... The, the religious leaders get wind of this. And remember, they were the ones who'd wanted Jesus dead, so they don't want Jesus being preached at all. And so they arrest 
Peter and John after they've healed this crippled man. And again, this is a time you're thinking, last, a couple times ago, just a couple months ago, Peter in this situation ducked out. But listen to Acts 4, 5 through 12. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all were who of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is a totally different Peter than the previous Peter. The Holy Spirit fills him. And the same men who had Jesus crucified, he's able to preach the Gospel to. Because the Holy Spirit enabled him to. And it's no different then than it is now. The Spirit still does the same thing in our lives today. And I know because I've been like Peter. I grew up in the church. I knew all about Jesus. But I didn't have faith in Him yet. So I hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. And when I was questioned about this, like my going to church, uh, so some of my buddies, they were getting ready to do some things uh, I knew we shouldn't be doing, too young for, okay? And I said, no, I'm not going with you guys. I'm not going to do that. And they look at me and they're like, what are you, one of those Christians? And I wasn't. I'm like, no, no, not one of those. Like, yeah, I go to church, but I'm a cool guy. Like, you know, not one of those Christians. No. I was 16, right? I didn't have faith. I didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. And so even though I knew who Jesus was, I denied him. I said, no, I'm not a Christian. I don't follow him. That's not me. Fast forward to two years. I came to faith in Jesus my freshman year of college like three weeks into my freshman year of college. And my roommate was like, what are you doing? You are three weeks into a four-year party. Why are you going to Bible study on Friday night? Like, why are you not going out with me? And he resented me for it. He said, he was from Texas. He's like, I thought I was getting away from this when I left Texas. Nope, sorry, you're not getting away from this. <clears throat> but it didn't stop there. We'd be out to eat with a group of friends, and he'd bring it up. He'd be like, you know, Dave still goes to Bible study? You know he still goes to church? You know what my response was then? Yeah, I do. I believe in Jesus. And I really, what you think of me doesn't matter 
now. Because what had changed was I had the Holy Spirit at that point. He empowered me to overcome that fear. The fear was there. Like The natural side of me was like, I'm going to be unpopular if I tell them all this. But the Holy Spirit was there to give me power to overcome so that I could witness to them. And I wish I could tell you like the entire Colorado State campus came to faith in Jesus. That didn't happen. But there were people along the way that I witnessed to who came to faith in Jesus. And it wasn't my doing. It wasn't my words. It was the Holy Spirit, His power, doing it through me. And it was a wonderful So I want to tell you that it's the same for you because I was no pastor at that time. I wasn't leading Bible studies or anything like that. I was just a normal, everyday Christian who went to church. It could be the same for you. Whatever sphere you are in, whether you're in college now or high school now or junior high now, or whether you're getting ready to retire or are retired, it doesn't matter what walk of life you're in. There are people in your life who need to hear the Gospel. And I know it's going to be scary for you to tell them about it. But God, the Holy Spirit, gives us the power to do it. So how do we apply that? What's it look like us for to now have this knowledge? How are we going to apply this to our lives. So one thing I want to go back to where I was at the beginning about how we know our future is taken care of. If your faith is in Jesus, your reward is in heaven. And I want you to focus on that a little, not totally, but a little. Keep that in mind because you need to realize that it is in order to proclaim the Gospel now. Because it's going to cost you to do it now. People are going to reject you now. They rejected Jesus. If they reject Jesus, they're going to reject you. You're not perfectly loving. You don't know God's Word perfectly like Jesus did. You don't know any of that. You know, what we know and what Jesus knows, two totally different things. And yet they rejected Jesus. Guys, they're going to reject you. But not all of them. There are people who are going to hear the gospel, who are going to respond to it. And it's our call to make sure that we're doing that. And in order to do that, we need to realize we're making a sacrifice now. But that's okay. Our reward is later. Second thing we need to make sure we know, need to do is make sure we know the gospel. We need to make sure that we know what Jesus has done for us. The gospel is the best news there's ever been. We were lost without any hope of rescuing ourselves. Our sin had so greatly separated us from God that there was no getting back on our own terms. He had to send His Son, Jesus, down to die on the cross for our sins so that we don't take the punishment for them. But instead, We get to be with God for eternity. There is no better news than that. We need to share that. You need to let that hit you every single day. You have been saved by God through His Son Jesus, dying on 
the cross. That should wreck you every day. That news should be the best, most beautiful news you've heard every day. Because when we realize what great news it is, we will want to share it. Like you want to share great news. You don't want to hoard it. Right? You know how people are with really good recipes they have? They like hoard it. Like, nope, I'm not sharing this with you. My wife and I were actually talking this week. There was a, a couple we used to go to church with, not here, um, but they had this awesome like strawberry dip recipe. And we were like, this is amazing dip. Will you share the recipe with us? Just stone cold, no. That is a secret. I'm like, what? What do you mean, no? Like, it's not like you giving me the recipe gives you less strawberry dip. Like, you will still have the same amount of strawberry dip. In fact, you'll probably have more strawberry dip because I can now go make my own and eat it. Hey, we don't want to be that way with the gospel. We don't want to hold on to our recipe. We want to give it out because it's great news not just for us, but for everybody. The entire world needs to hear the gospel. They need to hear that God the Son came to earth to die on the cross for their sins if they will place their faith in that and that alone. They need to hear it. So please, know the gospel. Know what it has done in your life. Know how Jesus has changed you. Because really, that is the best witness there is. What God has done in your life. There's not really that many people I can think of where they're like, there was this intellectual chess match about the gospel being true or not, and then they were converted. No, what they hear, what they see is what Jesus has done in the lives of those around them, in the life of the person they're talking to. I have a friend who's a staunch atheist, and I've done those chess, like mental chess matches with him about the gospel. And we always end that, and he is stuck in his position. He's like, I'm not budging, I'm not changing, nothing happened. But when I've been a witness as to what Jesus has done in my life, That's when he will listen longer. That's when he will hear the gospel preached. And I wish I could say again that he's converted. He hasn't yet. Maybe he will in the future. I hope so. I keep praying for him. But I can tell you it's when I'm talking about what Jesus has done in my life that it makes the biggest impact on him. So please, know what Jesus has done in your life and be ready to share it. And then pray for the opportunity to share it. Because this salvation is a supernatural spiritual thing. We should be praying to meet people who are hungry to hear the gospel. And in my experience, that's never been a prayer that's gone unanswered. Like, I've been praying at like 5.30 in the morning, like, God, I really want someone to preach the gospel to. Give me someone to preach the gospel to. And I like walk into work at 7 and somebody is asking about it. It's been some of the craziest things I've ever seen. I've never once prayed to have somebody to share the gospel to and not had that prayer answered. Because that's what's on God's heart. He wants us to share the gospel. He wants people to hear His gospel. Then pray 
for the power to actually say it. To actually deliver the gospel. Because you're not going to want to in your own strength. Some people do. A lot of people, it's scary for them. They don't want to have that tough conversation. I once had a friend compare uh, sharing the gospel with someone kind of like asking a girl out. They got nervous about it. Their hands would start sweating. They were like, man, why? Because they were afraid of being rejected, of course. We need the Holy Spirit. So be praying for it. We see the Christians do this in Acts 4. Uh, If you kept reading down, and this isn't on the screen, but if you keep reading down in Acts chapter 4, I highly recommend reading the whole chapter because we see this over and over. The Christians are praying that the Holy Spirit would enable them to preach the gospel with boldness, with power. And of course He does, because that's been the promise of God. The Holy Spirit comes down, falls on them, it says, and they proclaim the gospel with boldness. That should be our prayer every day, that we are able to proclaim the gospel with boldness. We need the Holy Spirit to do that for us. Finally, I want to free you up from feeling like you have to have the perfect words to say. You do not have to like have this well-written out script of this is how I'm going to proclaim the gospel. And just sit there and then you're like, let me tell you about the gospel. No, don't do that. It doesn't work that way. It's not ultimately your words, but the Holy Spirit working through them that is going to draw people to Jesus. The Apostle Paul knew this. He told the Corinthians that, hey, when I came to you, I wasn't here with a bunch of these eloquent words. Okay? It wasn't like some great speech I was giving to you. I came to you and I claimed to know nothing but Jesus Christ. And that was what people responded to. Because that's what the Holy Spirit works through. I want to read the opening to uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. Because this is Paul, and he says it really well here. Uh, So this is 1 Thessalonians, starting in 1. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It should be wonderful to hear that. Because if it's up to our words, we're in trouble. We are not that eloquent, especially on the spot, which a lot of times these conversations come up on the spot. The Gospel is powerful because the Spirit uses it. Not our own wonderful words. So relax. You don't have to have the perfect words. 
You have to be willing to share the gospel, and you have to share the gospel. But I've heard people explain the gospel, and it hasn't been done well, and I'm looking at them like, whew, that was rough. But yet the person that heard it goes, wow, that's good news. That's great news. And they respond. And I've stood up here and given sermons, and I know Pastor Joey has too, where we've been up here preaching, and we're like, technically that didn't... That sermon didn't go that well. Like, it was a mess. I was all over the place. And we've had people come up afterwards and be like, that really hit me where I'm at. I heard the gospel. I understood the gospel. I saw how it impacted my life. And you sit there and go, it wasn't us. It was the Holy Spirit. It was His power doing that. So please, be free to just talk. All right, if you know the gospel, you know what Jesus has done in your life, the Holy Spirit is going to use that. You don't have to be, you know, Billy Graham up there speaking. You have to be you doing what God has called you to do with the people God has called you to tell the gospel to. So let me end with that encouragement that God, the Holy Spirit, is with us. And He gives us the power to proclaim His gospel to the ends of the earth. Whatever end He has called us to, whatever sphere of life He has called us to, the Holy Spirit is with us so that we can proclaim the gospel that people could hear it and be saved. Pray with me.